Hey, so real quickly, Myths and Legends was nominated for a Webby. It's for best podcast writing. I am super excited about it. And we need your vote. So whenever you get a moment, please go to vote.mythpodcast.com. That's vote, V-O-T-E, mythpodcast.com. And it'll take you right to the page. Thanks so much. Oh, and there's a quick content warning this week. It's just more violence. Go to mythpodcast.com for more info on that. This week on Myths and Legends, we're finishing the Renard stories. You'll see how lying is the cause of and solution to all of Renard's problems. And you'll see why you'll want to stay hydrated for sporting events. You'll never know what you'll use that water for. The creature this time could be sitting right next to you. And if that's the case, you're going to want to find them some earplugs. This is Myths and Legends, episode 105B, Ferocious Mr. Fox. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today's episode is brought to you by Breach. A podcast team started looking into the biggest hack in history, and they ended up in the middle of the story. A mysterious voicemail, disappearing files. It got personal. Breach is a new podcast that takes you inside the world's biggest hacks. They set out to answer questions about the hack of a huge American company, and they found themselves investigating a Russian conspiracy. Subscribe to Breach, B-R-E-A-C-H, in your podcast app right now. Previously on the podcast, Renard the Fox did a lot of horrible stuff and got himself in trouble, making eternal enemies with Bruin the Bear and Isengrim the Wolf. He then lied to the king and got himself knighted, only to throw it all away by murdering the rabbit, Kuart, who was helping him get started on a mandatory pilgrimage to the Pope. Is something wrong? Did I just hear Kuart scream? Bellowed Bellin the ram from outside Wicked Hole. Yeah, he did. Renard called back from inside the tunnels. My wife fainted, and Kuart just barely caught her. Hey, Bellin, this is probably going to take a while. Feel free to head back to the king's court without me. Bellin asked about the hare. Would Kuart be coming too? Renard said he'd ask. He paused for a moment. No, no, Kuart said go on without him. He went to stay here and help Renard's wife. Bellin agreed, but Renard stopped him. Renard had a couple of letters for the ram to take back to the king. They were just some poetry and praise for the lion leader. Would Bellin mind dropping them off? Bellin shrugged. Renard was basically a knight now. The definition of an honorable animal. Sure. Renard jogged them out in court satchel and hung them on the ram's neck. Renard knew the ram, despite being a priest, had trouble reading and even more trouble writing. He told Bellin that if he wanted to say he helped compose the letter and get a little honor for himself from the king, Renard was cool with that. He said goodbye to the ram, and Bellin bounced eagerly back to court. It's a message from Renard, the ram bleated, as one of the court servants took the satchel from his neck, and I helped compose it. The king opened the bag and staggered backward. You help compose this, he asked. The ram, again, nodded proudly. The king stood and commanded that the ram leave his sight immediately. 
Confused, Belen exited the hall. Release Bruin the bear and Isengrim the wolf from the dungeons. The king charged the nearest servant. Tell them that they're pardoned of all crimes. As a recompense, they can hunt. Now, the servant was confused. Didn't the king just publicly condemn the bear and the wolf for treason, like, three or four days ago? The king tossed the bag to the servant, who recoiled and dropped it. The head of Court the Hare rolled out of his own satchel. Bellum was down by the stream an hour later, talking to the other animals, and confused that he wasn't honored for the letters that he helped write. When two shadows appeared behind him, Broom was the first to draw blood with his bony claw, and the other animals fled as Bell and the ram bleated in terror. Isengrim leapt in and ripped at his neck. Belen fought, and Belen died. The other animals ran to the king, saying that Bruin and Isengrim had murdered Belen in cold blood, and that they should be arrested immediately. But the king shook his head. He told Bruin and Isengrim to go after the ram. In fact, for the rest of time, the descendants of the bear and the wolf would hunt the descendants of the ram for Belen's treachery and murder of the hare. Renard was next, too. Bruin and Isengrim had the king's authority to kill him and his children on sight. Meanwhile, Renard, with a nice fat rabbit to eat, decided to hole up in Wicked Hole and wait for the heat to die down. Eventually, Bruin and Isengrim grew tired of waiting outside, and they returned home, shouting threats that the next time they saw the fox, he was dead. The lion who was a king rolled his eyes. Yes, he was aware that he had sent out a proclamation to the entire kingdom that the fox was an honorable knight. That was a mistake. The situation changed, like, almost immediately after the proclamation went out. Couldn't they just have, like, one feast without people coming up and complaining about Renard? But Lorpriel, the now one-eared rabbit, complained all the same. He said he had met Renard walking on the road, in pilgrim's clothes. Lapril had said hi, but the fox was less than charitable. When he tripped the rabbit and tried to pull his head off by the ears, it was only by his quick thinking and high tolerance for pain that Lapril was able to get out of the situation, but he'd lost an ear to Bernard's claws. The king sighed and started to respond before he was interrupted by Corbin the crow. He said that Renard the fox had to answer for the death of his wife. The king rested his forehead on a paw. Renard had to answer for a lot of stuff. What happened to your wife? The crow explained that he was out with his wife looking for food and saw this fox laying on the road and they thought to themselves, hey, awesome, free dead fox. The crow shook his head. The court would never guess what happened next. The king pursed his lips. The fox wasn't dead? The fox wasn't dead, called the crow. Renard bit the wife's head off and devoured her right there in the middle of the road. The king pounded on the table and roared. He was tired of this fox. That was when the queen spoke up. What was the king going to do? He had tried to send people the last time, but look what happened to them. She motioned to the bear with the skinless head and the wolf who was missing most of his feet. The king growled. His reputation was on the line. This time, he couldn't request that the fox appear in court. He had to go to the fox, not by himself, but with an army. The king shouted to his lords and knights. In six days, they would besiege Wicked Hole. In six days, they would wage war on Renard the Fox. 
Unfortunately, six days was six days, and the very next day, Renard stood before the king. Grimbart, his badger nephew, had rushed to him immediately and told him of the king's decree. Renard volunteered to come to the king's court to clear things up, and hours later, he was bowing low before the ruler and telling his side of the story. Renard told the king that he had actually met with his attorney before coming here. She was an ape. She worked in Rome. Very serious Simeon. And she had told Renard to tell the truth. The truth will set him free. If that didn't work, well, the ape's cousin was actually a mistress of a high-ranking cardinal in Rome. And so he had some pull to get the Pope's curse pulled down in the entirety of the lion's kingdom if things didn't go Renard's way. Renard cleared his throat and began with the hare. He didn't attack the hare on the road. He invited the guy in for some bread. It was Friday. Renard didn't even eat meat on Fridays. The hare was invited to enjoy his buttered bread. But he set the last corner down. Wicked hole. Renard's home was full of Renard's hungry babies. And the youngest waddled to the table and tried to snatch the bread. Well, Laprail the hare, not wanting his corner of bread going to feed a hungry baby, had slapped the baby in the face. The baby started crying and bleeding, and then he fainted. As you can imagine, after watching a baby get slapped in the face, Renard's other children leapt onto the hare, and it was only because of Renard that the hare survived. How did the hare repay his kindness? By punching a baby. Lepreel is the one who should be on trial. And as for the crow, pff, Renard had found the crow mourning his late wife. She had eaten so many worms that they got lodged in her throat, and actually ate her throat all the way through. The king couldn't even argue that either. That's in the Bible. The eaten by worms thing. King Herod, look it up. The hare and the crow exchanged a glance. They had heard of what happened to Isengrim and Bruin, and Belen and the cat, and basically everyone who went up against Renard once the fox got talking. They quietly slipped from the feast as fast as they could. The king sighed. Well, the accusers were gone, so he guessed that was over. There was still one thing that bugged the line who was a king. The money. The lost treasure. That was a lie, wasn't it? Renard asked if the king had started to look for it, but he got cut off with a startling roar. The king was through with these lies, and he was through with Renard. Renard, finally, was speechless. We'll see which animal comes to Renard's rescue this time, but that will be right after this. That was when Aunt Rukina stepped in. Renard, of course, had lied about meeting his ape lawyer on the road but that was only because he knew his ape lawyer was there in court. Rukinal, his aunt, was a she-ape, and among the best ape legal minds of her generation. She stepped forward on behalf of her client and nephew, saying that while it was not against the law, it was absolutely in poor taste for the lion who was a king to rule on the case in anger. The lion laughed at her. Renard didn't have friends. Anyone who helped him regretted it. She ignored him and continued blasting the king with not just legal precedent, but also some Seneca and some Bible verses. Basically all the major Bible verses about judging, like the plank in the eye, the judge not lest ye be judged. She even brought out the big guns and dropped the let the lion who's without sin cast the first stone. For her big finale, Rukinal broke out some parables of her own. 
and launched right into story time. There was once a man who walked by a snake caught in a trap. The snake pleaded with the man to let him out, but the man was pretty suspicious. How did he know the snake wouldn't kill and eat him? The snake promised that he wouldn't hurt the man, his eyes appearing sincere. The man shrugged. When has trusting the promises of a talking snake ever not worked out for a human being? He let the snake out of the trap, and immediately, the snake wrapped him up. The snake admitted that the whole ordeal had made him pretty hungry, and his hunger nullified their agreement. So he was, in fact, going to go ahead and eat the man. The man, of course, croaked that that wasn't how promises worked. But the snake squeezed harder. The man then demanded an appeal. Three creatures. If they agreed, then the snake could eat him. If not, the snake would have to let him go. With a roll of his eyes, the snake conceded. Sure. He promised he would let the man go if that was the case. The first creatures were a raven father and son, who said, yeah, hunger trumped an agreement, even if you knew about the hunger when making the agreement. Also let them know when the snake killed the guy. They wanted a piece of that action. The next two animals were a bear and a wolf. They, too, agreed with the snake. That hunger trumped all. The man croaked that it was really unfair to only ask hungry animals on the road. And so he demanded an appeal to the king himself. Wait. The lion who was a king broke in. This sounds familiar. Yeah, the ape agreed. Because you couldn't answer the question. Though, Renard could. He tricked the serpent back into the trap. And left it in the hands of the man who with all the necessary knowledge of the animal kingdom legal precedents, decided to not rescue the serpent. The king appeared wise, and that was because of Renard. The ape smiled. The king needed Renard more than he knew. He wanted to be a Solomon, but some questions didn't have easy answers. Some justice was messy, and he needed minds like Renard's. Minds that were so used to lying, obfuscating, and shielding himself from consequences that doing so from a king was like a leisure time puzzle. Renard protects the king's honor, but what about the bear and the wolf? The two creatures the king just made lords. The rulers and the rich squeeze the creatures beneath them. And those at the bottom, like the fox, do what it takes to survive. The king's prosecuting Renard for stealing grain, but he's rewarding his own greedy lords for stealing cows and farms and lives. As for not having friends, Rukunaw had anticipated that argument as well. She called forth the beaver, weasel, squirrel, polecat, ferret, mongoose, otter, donkey, bat, water rat, and more. In the end, 40 animals came to vouch for Renard's character. To close, the ape asserted that the king had to give Renard time to craft a defense. Before the king could roar back at her, his leopard lawyers tapped him on the shoulder. The optics of this weren't good he needed to give the fox a chance to defend himself. Otherwise, it looked like he was just ruling by brute force, not laws or precedent. If they did that, the kingdom could descend into violence and chaos. Regaining his composure, the king cleared his throat. He said he was so upset by Court the Hare's death that he just lost it. He apologized. He gave the floor to Bernard. Bernard staggered backwards. What? Court was dead? Where was Bell in the room? What did he bring the king? Now the king was really confused. He told Bernard about the hare's head in a bag. The fox cried out. He had trusted Court with three treasures to take back to the king, in gratitude for the lion saving Bernard's life. There was a priceless jewel, a magic ring where the one who wore it would never be harmed, 
and a mirror that saw all and told fun stories. What had happened to court between Wickedhole and the king's court? And more importantly, what happened to those treasures? Bernard raged before the court, saying that he would find the person responsible for Court the Hare's murder and bring that animal to justice. He then reminded the king of a time when the king, then just a prince, was out walking and came across Bernard and Isengrim when the pair had just killed a pig. He and the queen said they were hungry. They wanted Bernard and Isengrim to hunt other animals for them, to kill other animals for them. The king chuckled nervously. All right, Renard, shut up. Let's get back to the question at hand. It looks like Renard and his ape lawyer were right. The king didn't have any evidence beyond what Renard had told him. Bellin and Court the Hare were dead, so they couldn't speak for themselves, and the other rabbit and the crow had both fled. And if Renard immediately shut up about the time the king wanted him to kill other animals, he could forget the lost treasure thing too. Renard thanked the king and told the lion, that he would look long and hard for the treasures that Bellin had stolen and apparently hid. That was when they heard a snarl from the back. It was Isengrim, clicking forward on his bony wolf paws. Seriously? Seriously? The wolf barked. The king clenched his jaw. Isengrim was speaking out of turn, and there were good legal reasons why Renard should go free. The wolf was nonplussed. There was always a reason with this one. He bent the law to his will. He warped it to get himself out of trouble and then ignored it when he was free. It was unconscionable. Renard was a liar, a thief, and a murderer. Isengrim narrowed his eyes and snarled. Renard was a rapist, too. Oh, come on, I was helping her, Renard spat out. Isengrim turned to the king and told of a day, a cold day, when Renard had come to their hole offering to teach his wife how to catch fish with her tail. All she had to do was stand in the ice and wait. Tempted with more fish than they knew what to do with, Isengrim encouraged his wife to go with Renard and learn this new technique. Not long after, Isengrim took a walk by the river. It was there that he saw Renard taking advantage of his wife, whose legs were frozen in the ice. All these years, Renard maintained that he knew she was frozen. He had warned her against that. What Isengrim saw was him pushing and trying to get her free from the ice. Isengrim raged. He was doing it again. He called his wife as a witness, but she neither confirmed nor denied either of the stories. Instead, mentioning a time Renard had trapped her in a bucket, the king threw up his paws. Once again, it was Isengrim's word against Renard's, and once again, Renard had made a good case. The king couldn't really do anything. Isengrim stepped forward. The king and the legal system couldn't do anything, but the wolf could. He challenged the fox to a duel, here before the entire kingdom. The king shrugged. This was one way out of his Renard problems, he thought, as he looked at the wolf, who was multiple times the fox size. This could work. All eyes were on Renard, as the fox swallowed hard, and accepted the challenge. Then, he grinned. He had been hoping for a chance like this for years. A chance to show everyone just how weak little Isengrim was. The king accepted their pledges and announced that the fight would take place the following day. Bruin the bear and Tybert the cat would be the backup team for the wolf, and Grimbart the badger and the ape would be the backup team for Renard. As he left, Renard sighed. After all that work, all that talking, he still was going to face his death. Renard knew the wolf was stronger. He also knew that if he fought the wolf, as he had just pledged to do, he would die. 
everyone stood mouth agape the next day, at dawn, when Renard arrived at the battleground. The wolf had showed moments earlier, but all eyes were on the fox. His ears were pinned down close to his body, and his body, well, that was shaved. It was completely bare, like the skin of a human. The king blurted out what everyone was thinking. This wasn't a good look for the fox. But the fox replied that neither was death, so yeah. Leopard and the lynx sat on the high, tennis umpire-like chairs and announced the duel. Isengrim hadn't taken any precautions. He didn't need to. He had Bernard right where he wanted the fox, and he would enjoy tearing him to pieces. Both animals put their paws in the Bible and swore that the other was a lying, thieving traitor, and they took their positions at the opposite halves of the circle. The ape was the last one to leave the ring, admonishing Renard to remember what they talked about. When she exited, the fight began. The wolf lunged at the fox to pin him down on the ground and bite him a bit. He was going to take his time. He actually liked that the fox was shaved. He would be able to see what he was doing to the creature. In a couple quick bounds, he was across the circle and on top of Renard, but only for a second. Renard slipped from his grasp, leaving the wolf looking down at his bony, painful paws. Were they greasy? Did the fox grease himself for the fight? While Isengrim stared confused at his slick paws, Renard found just enough time to urinate. Isengrim took one step toward the fox, then decided to let this happen. If the fox wanted to urinate on his formerly fluffy tail, that only made the wolf look better. When the fox was finished, the wolf went in for the kill. This was the moment he was waiting for. This was the moment that he would kill Renard. This was the moment that he would take a urine-soaked tail to the eyes. With a wet slap, Isengrim had to stop his assault. His eyes burned from the urine. He whimpered, and Renard took the opportunity to double down. He kicked up rocks and dust from the ground, and sticking to the burning urine in his eyes, the wolf was temporarily completely blind. The fox leapt and tore at the wolf's unprotected neck three times, before the wolf recovered enough sight to stop him. Panting, bleeding, and half-blind, the wolf caught his breath, while Renard gave him the chance. Renard announced that the wolf's life was in his hands, and if he came before the fox, knelt, and begged for forgiveness, the fox would spare him. This, of course, was meant to throw the wolf into a rage, to make him careless. Renard wanted him attacking relentlessly and thoughtlessly, and it worked. The wolf charged at Renard, who slipped from the bony paws and hit Isengrim in the face again with his urine-soaked tail. It was super effective, and he repeated it ten times, landing bonus bites wherever he could. Of course, Renard also took scratches and scrapes, which were much more painful and deep without his fur. Unfortunately for the fox, with dust clinging to him and blood running down his bare skin, the grease began to wear off, and his tail began to dry out. It wasn't long before the wolf landed a blow that actually pinned Renard. The wolf knew he couldn't do much damage with his paws, and so he was going to upgrade to his teeth. It was in that half moment of transition that Renard found his window and attacked with his back legs. Renard's back legs tore Isengrim's fur from the wolf's eyes to his ears, but the left paw, the left paw had a deeper catch. It hooked into the eye, Isengrim screamed and staggered backwards, paw on his face. When he uncovered his face, the crowd gasped as it looked on his dangling eye. Renard struggled to his feet, 
but his last attack on Isengrim had been a step too far. The wolf was now back on top of the fox, teeth gripping the fox's arm, threatening to tear it off and kill the little guy if the fox didn't yield immediately. Stop, Renard yelled. Please. He begged the wolf not to kill him. If the wolf let him go, he would give everything he had to the creature. He would be the creature's servant forever. Together, they would be unstoppable. The fox with his intelligence and the wolf with his brawn. Besides, the wolf saw how many animals came to his aid the last time he talked to the king. All those animals would treat Isengrim like royalty. But if Isengrim killed Bernard, all those animals would come for him. It might not be today, it might not be tomorrow, but someday they would avenge Bernard's death. Of course, that could all be avoided if Isengrim let him live now. The wolf blinked an eye. Isengrim said he gave the fox that chance. Renard could surrender. He didn't have to die. That was his choice. The one that the wolf just said. Really, did the fox think he was stupid? Renard thought about it and nodded. Yeah, yeah, he did. Because all that, all that was just a ploy to get the wolf distracted enough for Renard to snake one hand down, way down, between the wolf's legs. He grabbed the wolf there and twisted. Isengrim yelped, and Renard wrenched his arm free from the wolf's mouth. Renard darted out from beneath the wolf, ready to keep fighting. But, in tears and screaming, Isengrim passed out from the pain. Seeing as the fight was still on, and his enemy was incapacitated, Renard leapt on top of the wolf, and punched, bit, and slammed him into the ground, until the lion called the fight's judges, and told them to pull the fox off the wolf. Everyone rushed Renard, even those that had sided with the wolf. The fight was over. He had won. In the end, Renard let the wolf live. Not executing your unconscious opponent was the honorable thing to do. He guessed. Also, the crowd got to him too quickly for him to do it. Oh well, there would probably be a next time. The next day, the lion who was a king made his final ruling on Renard's case. He announced that it was obvious that God wanted Bernard to live, if the fox swore in the Bible, and then entered a fight with a wolf. With a huge sigh, the king declared that Bernard would have another chance. A big one. He invited Bernard to sit on his council, and to be a judge. The king charged all the fox's friends with keeping him in line, and he said that the fox was obviously brilliant. He just needed to channel that brilliance toward good things. And now, he had the chance. Bernard thanked the lion who was a king, promising that he wouldn't let him down. The king said he hoped the fox wouldn't. Oh, and he would start tomorrow. Amazingly, the fox had entered the city earlier in the week, an accused criminal, and left the most powerful lord in the kingdom, all thanks to his words, and a lot of grease, and a urine-soaked tail, and some unsportsmanlike conduct. With a rowdy crowd celebrating as they arrived at Wicked Hole, the fox parted ways with his ape attorney and Grimbart the Badger, his truest friends. He said goodbye to everyone, and as the crowd cleared, he heard a gentle cooing behind him. Bernard spun around, to see a young pigeon in the shadow of the door. The bird just wanted to tell Bernard how much he admired him. It was great to see not a bear or a wolf become the king's right-hand animal, but a fox. The fox thanked the bird. And as the bird started flapping to take flight, the
the fox stopped him. How would he like to come in for dinner with Renard and the family? Nearly speechless, the bird stammered. He was honored. Renard grinned and followed the bird into the darkness of Wicked Hole. where we'll end up Bernard stories. I've told all the ones I've found so far, but we may come back to them sometime if people don't mind a completely amoral and sociopathic fox. Bernard is seen as sort of a hero of the peasant class, standing up and using the complex legal system of the lords, kings, and priests against them, and always coming out on top, despite seemingly insurmountable odds. The legal system provided a way for Bernard to get out of trouble. He could always talk his way out. If it was up to who was the strongest, he would have been dead a long time ago. The stronger animals were always at a disadvantage because it often came down to their word against Bernard's. And when it came to talking, Bernard could turn even their own words against them. From an English major perspective, I think it's cool just how many unreliable narrators we get out of the story. Everyone is a liar in some way. I mean, we never really learn the truth of a lot of these stories. And at some point, it becomes irrelevant what's true. And the only thing that matters is how well someone can tell a story or spin circumstances. It is definitely a pessimistic view of our interactions with each other, but from a storytelling perspective, it's pretty interesting. All right, that's it for this week. Instead of other stuff, I'm just going to ask you, again, to please go vote for Myths and Legends in the Webbies. We're up against some really steep competition in our category, and I made it super easy. You can just go to vote.mythpodcast.com or click on the link in the show notes. And just thank you so much for listening. We wouldn't be anywhere without you. The creature this week is the Dragua, from Albanian mythology. If you're thinking, hey, the person next to me might be a semi-human creature born with the instinctive drive to hunt and kill a demon by the name of Kolshidra. If they're listening, you might want to get them to cover their ears. A Dragua is formed, apparently, from couples whose ancestors haven't committed adultery for three consecutive generations. That honestly seems like a really low bar, and that there should be a lot more Draguas walking around. But... I guess all of our ancestors have some explaining to do. Anyway, they can fulfill their innate drives to fight an extremely lethal dragon and die that way, but there's also another way they can die. They have two to four invisible wings tucked underneath their armpits, and if someone says to them, may your arms wither, it will cause their immediate death. And I hope the person next to you was still covering their ears, but if not, I'm sorry about your loss. A French benefit, though, of having a dragua die right next to you is that they have a heart of gold, literally. Their heart is solid gold and full of jewels. If they don't die from listening to a podcast, they will wage a centuries-long battle against Kalshidra, a dragon storm demon with nine heads, pendulous breasts, and the producer of both poisonous milk and poisonous urine. It will bring storms, flooding, and natural disasters. An all-around just terrible creature. The Dragua doesn't really care about the storms, but it will come to our aid if Kalshidra zeroes in on a human to eat. With the aid of its magical felt hat, the Dragua will attack Kalshidra with cudgels, houses, lances, plows, stones, uprooted trees, and yokes. If this sounds like it would be awesome to see, unfortunately, they fight in secret, and a Dragua throwing a house or a tree at Kalshidra will just look like a lightning strike. Which are cool in their own right, but not two dragons throwing houses at each other cool. So, oh well. 
That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes, and today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser, and edited by Carissa Weiser. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.